Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and happy President's Day. For all of you federal workers, I expect you to be listening to the whole show today and miss none of it. We're glad that uh, it is Monday. I'm looking forward to the week, especially today, as I always love uh, chatting with my friend Patrick Albanese, who's going to be joining me in just about 60 seconds. And then Pastor David Miles is going to be coming in studio. And then psychologist Dr. Andy Scudding will be joining me for all of our two I bet you've got questions. I know I do. So that's what the day is shaping up to be. I'm excited. I hope you are, too. Hope your weekend was good. And I think spring is kind of around the corner. Uh, I got to be careful what I say, though, because I think we're getting snow today. So there we go. We'll take 60 seconds and bring on Patrick. Connecting faith to life is the focus of Faith Radio. If you're new to our ministry, welcome. Through daily Bible teaching and compelling conversations, We want you to grow in your faith and learn to apply God's Word to everyday life. Faith Radio is part of the Northwestern Media family based in St. Paul, and we'd love to introduce ourselves to you. Get to know us better and request a free welcome packet today at MyFaithRadio.com. Each day, together, growing in our faith. There are things that have happened to me that I've thought, why have you let this happen to me? But I've also learned that I should never be afraid to commit an unknown future to a known God. So we just say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. A source of truth. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. All right, it's Monday. It's time to get things started. Um, Welcome to the show. You picked the right time to uh, tune into the radio because it is President's Day. And my guest is Patrick Albanese, a man who never will be president. Patrick, welcome. Uh, well, yeah, president of my local condo association, and I don't even own a condo there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Do you have a favorite president? Um, I probably uh, would go for um, the guy that was only in office for 30 days. Yeah, he gave it his all. William Henry Harrison. Yeah, he was William there Harrison. a solid month. I'm here to change your mind. Chester Arthur is the man you want. Why is that? Well, uh, so James Garfield gets assassinated. It takes He gets shot in the head. takes two months for him to die. And uh, Arthur takes over, uh, serves four years, and really kind of gives a half-hearted effort to get reelected because I think he'd rather play the banjo. He was our only banjo-playing president. Oh, say no more. He's my man. I did not know that. The 21st president of the United States played banjo. He's the only one. People would come to the White House, he'd be like, ah, forget diplomacy. Here's Foggy Mountain Breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Stop taking calls. We have a winner. Thank you. I'm being propped up now because I've been under the weather, but uh, I'm wearing a harness as we speak. (laughs) Well, you do sound a little bit like you do have a chest cold or something, something a little under the weather. Just a little, yeah. 
James Earl Jones in it. I didn't. Yeah, it, there was a show at the Civic Center a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, Come from away was a very cute uh, story about uh, this island, uh, uh, play airport where all the people got shuttled to uh, 9/11 and spent about a week there, waiting to be you know sent back to America or wherever they were going. And uh, I'm out in the lobby before the show, and uh, this I see this one guy out there, and he's chatting. And he comes over and introduces himself. Hi, I'm James, and we should chat. It seems like a yeah, nice guy, and he's kind of witty. And he leaves him, and my wife comes up by, and she goes, "That's James Earl Jones Jr." Oh my, I said, "You're supposed to tell me that before." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, wow, I, I got I got a hand close to the man himself. Yeah. It's funny when you run into celebrities, you've uh, met way more celebrities than I've ever been around. Um, and you've met some of the classic greats, the Cary Grants and other people like that. Yeah, and I, I, I just occupied the same airspace as Cary Grants. Okay. Um, unfortunately, it would have been pretty cool. But yeah, he used to, he was one of the original members of the Magic Castle in Hollywood. Yeah. And part of the reason Milt, who built the place, had some secret passages was so that Cary Grant could kind of zip around, hide, you know, go go behind the scenes. He'd work the front desk every now and then, give the ladies up front a break. That's hysterical. And it's funny. People come check in, and he'd say, now get over to the owl in the bookcase and say, open sesame. <laughs> they'd get into the club. They'd say, you know, that guy out there, is a he's a dead ringer for Cary Grant. They go, well, it is Cary Grant, actually. <laughs> I love stuff like that. I do, too. Billy Graham got that. Out. Billy Graham got that once in an elevator. Has anyone ever told you you look like Billy Graham? He goes, you know, I get that all the time. <laughs> I get that. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's uh, we, we had the whole, well, my kids are okay. My son was a little bit sick, but uh, my wife has, has gone down, and then I, I got whatever it is, some version of the norovirus or something. I don't yeah. know what it is. You guys weren't kissing, were you? No, no, we, okay. uh, no we, I mean, we just, it, it got to the point where, you know, it was, we were, the two of us are just miserable on separate couches in the, the living room, unable to move. And <laughs> we kind of turned, we turned our whole conversation into those, um, like, uh, uh, civil war letters from soldiers back home. <laughs> so you know, I'd be like, there's Clementine, <laughs> how my heart aches for thee. Turns out I have bronchitis. <laughs> you know, she'd be like, Reginald. The humidity in the South is incredible, and it is helping an awful lot with my. Uh, I mean, we were just it was back and forth. Well, it's right. Clementine. <laughs> nice, you made the best of it, you know. Well, then you'd laugh and you'd cough a bit, but we were just trying to do our best. We go, we're pathetic. Yeah, well, you guys are getting time, on the man. Every time you think you're strong, you 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 say, "Gosh, I get one bug, and that's it." Yeah, no doubt. Other than that. It's been interesting uh, politically, not that I want to talk politics, but I do want to just say it has been interesting now that your state and your city has um, all the politicians have left and you've taken quite a um, quite a beating in terms of how much Iowa can't seem to get it right. But it has nothing to do with Iowa. No, it, it, it's amazing. The chair of the Democratic Committee here in Iowa, he has resigned. Oh, wow. From but the the national uh, uh, chair Tom Perez has not resigned, and this is this is his mess. I mean, they're the ones that brought in the app. This they're the ones that didn't test the app. Mm -hmm. uh, but they have placed it, you know, unfairly and unsquarely on the Iowa voters, the Iowa Democrat Party, 
uh, it, it's really, you know, kind of brutal. And you think you guys, you messed it up and you, but I think back to the last election, you know, where they, they took out Bernie and you know, they, they don't play very fairly. Um, and they don't seem to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess they, they can say, well, you know, who cares if we just malign everybody from Iowa? But the people in Iowa showed up. They did their due diligence. They came in, they caucused, um, and they were happy to do so. And, and it was a pretty good turnout. They say it wasn't record setting, except I think Trump had record setting, but the Democrats didn't have record. They had, they had a very good turnout, though. Mm-hmm. So people showed up. Uh, and they're saying, well, you guys, it's like, well, we've, we voted. You can't count. What did we do wrong? You're, you're saying that we did something wrong. We, you know, we, we stood in the side of the room like you tell us to do. We moved around. We, you know, rearranged the deck chairs on the Titanic. We did all the stuff. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And now they're going to move on. And I don't know. What are they going to do next? It's uh, Super Tuesday. And When is Super Tuesday? I forget. It's coming up. It's on a Tuesday. That much I know. So I didn't even know if it was on a Tuesday I, or not. Don't quote me on that. Actually, come to the, that should be a Tuesday. Uh, it's in the next couple of weeks. I think we March do 3rd. South Carolina. Thanks to Rebecca. March third. Yep, she would know that stuff. She always knows that she, stuff. So, what is what is your your take on um, Mr. Bloomberg getting into the race, but somehow avoiding the uh, debate stages? Yeah, it's a clever move because I don't know how well he would survive in debates, especially with video of him that's come out in just the last couple of days of him saying the thing he said about farmers. You know, it's, you, I don't know if you saw that. When he, I did not. It basically, oh, my goodness. It's, it's a good way to lose the rural vote. I'm, I'm guessing Rebecca, in fact, is shaking her head right now because I'm sure she heard it. But he said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, farming is not that hard. You, you dig a hole, you plant the seed, you put the dirt on, you put water on, up comes the corn. And, you know, but to do these other high-tech jobs takes a lot more gray matter. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. And he was basically making the case that you can't easily retrain farmers for some of the high-tech jobs, which also makes you say, well, are you talking about your goal is to eliminate farming? I, I don't understand. And now I happen to know some farmers, and they're actually very smart. And if you've ever seen the technology they use, you understand that they are much more tech savvy than your average person, mm-hmm. much more tech savvy. If I've been inside of a, one of these uh, GPS controlled combines, but one that does a multitude of activities, it can plant seeds and do soil testing at the same time. And it's this intelligent farming and it knows how much fertilizer is needed in certain areas so that you don't overspray certain areas, underspray certain areas. It knows moisture content. You have to know how to work all of this technology. Uh, these machines can actually count the exact number of seeds that are planted and then balance it against your crop yield at the end of the season. Hmm. It's, you know, there's, there's some serious technology going on. So I'm going, I think these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. They're extremely uh, and then smart. he was talking about having, you know, we will have to eventually ration healthcare. So if you're 95 years old and you have prostate cancer, you just have to tell the patient, well, there's nothing we can do. Uh, so go home, have a nice life. Uh, but if that person's younger, then you do what you can. So these videos are going to come out of him, and they're already trying to spin it by saying, ah, he's being misquoted. And I don't know how well that works. Can you say, you know, that video where I was calling farmers dumb? You guys are misquoting me. You're mm-hmm. so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> they they spin oh. they spin stuff exactly how they want to. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't – it sure looks like he, he can spend so much money, and he goes in and – he donates gazillions of dollars to 
churches, communities, all sorts of places for their backing. So, but can he go the whole distance without debates? He's going to have to get on a debate stage eventually, isn't he? Oh, definitely, definitely. And if I think... he's never, yeah, if he's never been tested against the other Democrat candidates, is the first person you want to face Trump? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. Did you, me... did you did you did you oh I'm just going to say did you see the uh, what do they call the you know his limousine on the Daytona 500 track yesterday? The Beast. The Beast. Yeah. Was that fun? What? Yep. Yeah, that was fun. All right, Patrick Albanese is my guest, of course, because it's Monday, and uh, we're just getting things started. Hope your week is going well so far. It's Monday. We'll take a short break. Be right back with Patrick. Welcome back to the show, Patrick Albanese, my guest, of course, from the great state of Iowa, the great, uh, most prestigious city of uh, West Des Moines. Patrick, uh, so I saw this news story where um, Mr. Bezos, who owns Amazon or is the guy in charge of Amazon, bought a piece of property, a home in L.A. for $165 million, as if that's a big deal. Because I did read another story where in one day, in the course of about four hours, he made $8 billion dollars. Yeah. That's chump change. Uh, it, it is. It's my favorite kind of chump change. <laughs> I'm a chump. I'll be uh Oh. I, it, it's it's I remember um it was Aaron Spelling had built and I don't know if this is the same house that but he had built a place in LA that was it was 63,000 square feet. I remember the uproar because well even the people in Beverly Hills, I believe he built it it was either Bel Air or Beverly Hills and he bought a couple of adjoining properties and just built this massive edifice. And so the people there, the snobby people there were saying, well, how dare you, you know, overshine my palatial estate with that monster. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing that they got, you know, it's like they got upset. You're thinking, well, this just, doesn't this just help the value of your home in this area? Don't, what do you guys care? What do you guys care? But, uh, so I don't know if that's the house he bought, but, uh, 165 million. Yeah. Doesn't it just remind you though, of how blessed you feel that you have a place at night that you go home to and a, and a door opens and you've got a roof over your head and heat in the winter and cool air possibly in the summer and you have fresh water that comes into your house and dirty water that goes away and you've got this place you call home. Yeah, and I, and I think if, if you can't be happy unless you have a $165 million home, then I get the sneaking suspicion that the $165 million home isn't going to make you happy. Yeah, I agree. You, you know, you'll get that and say, well, this was the ultimate. I, I met too many people of varying levels of success, and I know you have too, where um, the, 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 the success and the riches were supposed to solve some problems. And of course, it solved some and created others. And But uh, it was Dennis Prager always used to say, you know, the, the difference between the poor people and the rich people is uh, the rich people know that money won't solve their problems and make them happy. And poor people can still cling to that if I only had a bunch of money. So, you know, at some point in time, you know, these people with uh, multiple houses, you say, I, how does that make you happy? I don't know. I mean, more power to you. It's your money. You can do what you want with it. But, um, yeah, I just, I, 
put the key in my little old lock, you know, and uh, I pull up into the humble abode. Um, and and I say, I have a home. I mean, every now and then, yeah. especially, yeah, as we were doing the Clementine Reginald uh, back and forth uh, over our sickness the other day, I said, I'm so glad that I, I'm in this little comfy home here where my nine and 10 year old kid are running around cooking a soup <laughs> and keeping to our whims. And the, the dog's kind of pitching in by saying, I'll kind of hold back on needing to walk today. I'll just lay with you. Yeah. Beautiful. And the dog would like whoever was moaning the most, the dog would lay upon. That's said, so cute. Do you need much more than this? Do you need more than this in life? Yeah. Do you cook soup or do you just warm it up? You just warm it up. That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought you were taking liberties does- there. Yeah, I was. Well, it make I make it sound like I actually have some a skill set. <laughs> oh, I, I can cook, which you cl- clearly don't. All right, in First Timothy six, it says, uh, "But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world; we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that." People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Yeah. We, we see the examples of that. You can even take people that already have incredible wealth and success, and then they gamble everything to ha- acquire even more. I mean, it wasn't, you know, there was a car dealer up in your area that uh, you would say by all intents and purposes was incredibly successful, wealthy. It wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And so then it's the turn to, you know, having to cheat just a little bit to get a little bit more. And you think, my gosh, you had it all. And it's so sad to see you think, well, okay, I don't know who you're competing with, but you know, now it's, it, you've made quite a mess of things or yeah. you look at Robin Williamson's of the Williams's of the world and you say you had it all and it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you, there was something you weren't pursuing. Yeah. I'm just guessing it's God. Yeah. I'm just and out it, on the limb there. And I think Augustine in the fourth century, he talks about, you know, disordered loves where, you love something more than God, and when you start doing that and putting your identity and trust into something other than God, it will collapse. It will not sustain because it's not meant to, and you will end up uh, self-destructing. Yeah. So, what's our takeaway, yeah. Patrick? Uh, what's you know, if we're going to say anything today, um, are we going to encourage people to just say, "Boy, look at the situation I have. I need to give gratitude and be content." Well, you know, there was a little quip, you might say, in a very famous book, something about seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all things will be added. Now you think, does that mean, you know, do I get a beast with five inch thick glass? It's <laughs> be nice. It would be kind of nice. Yeah. I think I could use something like that. But um, I think it means that your needs are taken care of. It's, it's very explicit in the Sermon on the Mount that God's, your needs will be taken care of. Maybe not in the way you think, you know, maybe not uh, in in the way you you th- you would like it t- to be, but God knows better than you. You know that's the thing that I, I don't understand. That people you know get so confused with it, they think they really do know better than God. Mm-hmm. And in Matthew six, you know, it, you know, talks about look at the birds of the air; they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And, of course, it's important to look at the little critters out there and realize that God's involved. God's involved. Yeah, yeah, Lolo Jones, you know, the the athlete Lolo Jones. I I got the the pleasure, actually, of interviewing her once. A great Christian woman, by the way, in case people did not know that about her. 
Um, and if you go to her Twitter feed, you'll see she's she's talking about God a lot more than she's talking about athletics most of the time. And she actually had a tweet up today, which kind of caught my eye. And it's God's timing is perfect. Uh, his answers to our requests can be yes, no, grow, slow. But he knows what's best. Trust his timing. And I thought, well, that was very concisely put. I've always heard the yes or no, but I never really considered the the grow or slow. But I, I just thought, well, that, that's, that's well done. That's mm-hmm. well done. You have to trust his timing. Yeah. Don't you find, though, that when you pray and you say something like, Lord, help me to have more patience, but don't put me in a situation where I'm going to have to learn it. <laughs> I, just want, I, I just want it. I just, yeah, if you could give me the gift. Right. But I don't actually ever want to have to use it. Of course. I don't want to go through like, whatever it takes to earn it. I just want to have it. it. What I'd really like is a rainy day fund that I never have to spend on a rainy day. <laughs> I just right. want money. Yes. Yeah, it's true. It you know, flexible it's cash become, on a nice July cash. afternoon. Yes, but I have a pretty good idea how I'd like to flex that cash. Yeah. You know, it's uh, as you know, I always say, you know, I don't ask for much in life, just enough money to put gas in the maid's Ferrari. Exactly. So you're That's, you're living with great humility, which I appreciate. I, I, I try to say, look, it's a simple request. It's a simple request. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it does sort of sum up, you know, it's a joke for those who don't know. I know people know that it's a joke, but um, it does sort of sum up, you know, my observation of how people say they don't ask for much. And I noticed this in L.A. a lot when people would say, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't need to be like a movie star. Just a, a hit sitcom would be fine. <laughs> like, okay. So nice of you. Or you know what? If I was just like flow from progressive, that'd be, you know, well, flow from progressive is at least a million dollar a year contract. And they all know that. So when they're saying, I don't, I look, I don't have to be like Dustin Hoffman. If I could just flow, look, right. I'm not asking for much. It's like, well, you're asking for a million dollars a year. Right. That's a lot of money. So, you know, some days you just want to say, I'm happy to have that, that roof over my head and people that love me. Yeah. that I love, and we got to spread God because God's good word. Yeah, and in Psalm 25, verse 9, it says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. What a beautiful thought. That takes humility. Yes, it that does. humbleness. It does. Yeah. Something we Which, by to... the way, yes. you look at my trophy case, I got a big old trophy for first place in humility. I love that. Right there. Oh, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Patrick, yeah. that... Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for doing the show once again. It's always nice to talk to you on yeah. Mondays, get things started for the week. One quick little thing. I of used course. the self-checkout today yeah. at the store. Yeah. I'm now employee of the month, just so you know. Fantastic. You never saw that yeah. coming, did you? I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Well, there again, there's hum- your humility showing. You should go admire your trophy <laughs> one more time. Yeah. All, all right. right have thanks. A, have a great week. All right. You pa- too. Patrick Albanese has been my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with Pastor David Miles.
All right, I think one of the very first verses I memorized, as a matter of fact, it was the very first verse I memorized, it was 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I love that. And I think the next verse that I learned on forgiveness that I memorized was in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And I, I don't think we can memorize enough verses on forgiveness. We want to have them a lot loaded into our hearts so we can always have the Holy Spirit bring them to our mind and to our attention because uh, verses on forgiveness are so powerful and we should know many of them. And my guest, uh, Pastor David Miles, is here in studio and we're going to have uh, Maxwell and... Uh, Arnold and Miles, or Miles, Arnold, Maxwell. I can't remember how it goes, yeah. but it's a good, it's a good segment. It's it's, it's gaining ground. Well, start off with the the mid the uh, Monday afternoon mix. Yeah, it started there, which is super cool. And I like the, that. The, the VIP, of course, is Jesus, right? And then um, grateful uh, to be here are Miles, Arnold, and Maxwell. So I like it. Everything works for me. And we're going to talk to David Miles today about forgiveness and. You had kind of an interesting, provocative question asked you the other night, didn't you? Yeah, I actually had a really good question here asked um, last night in our, <clears throat> excuse me, in a membership class afterwards. It was done. Several of us were standing around, and a dear sister, Linda, had asked the question about, um, is forgiveness possible without repentance? And saying, meaning even in, in interpersonal relationships, if someone comes to you, or if a person comes to you, is forgiveness really that loop completed and, until someone says, will you forgive me? Hmm. And so there was, there was a good, healthy conversation around that. Is there an easy answer to that? Is there an easy answer to that? Um, I'm still processing from it. And I think after we talked a little bit more and kind of delineated between not only this dear sister's experience, but also between forgiveness and pardon, the word pardon there as well. So, you know... As you read earlier, First uh, John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, that that word homilageo means if we agree with what God says about our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us from all righteousness." So there is a degree where repentance of us turning in response to God's grace, His mercy, and His gospel is necessary. Um, so we were talking a little bit more about when someone does you wrong, and until that person actually comes to you and says, will you forgive me? Is that forgiveness? So, Rebecca, you were talking a little bit earlier about Mm -hmm. Matthew 18, I think it was. Yes, um, where Christ says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and then if he repents, forgive him. So that sort of sounds like that two-step process that maybe the sister was, was referring to that it's your responsibility to point out the sin, maybe, and then it, it's their responsibility, the person who's wronged you, to turn from that sin, and then forgiveness can be accomplished. Is that sort of the idea there? And and kind of, you know, thinking over the conversation from last night, yes, and then the part of what do you do for individuals who never come and ask for forgiveness? Because that was part of the conversation is, what if if a person ever comes then are you basically handcuffed into that situation? 
and does it make it more man-centric versus God-centric on the issue of forgiveness that a person is basically holding you into that? But the idea of pardon, where even though someone has done you wrong, and I think we use it interchangeably, forgiveness and pardon, um, but that you pardon a person, you say, you know what, yes, this happened, um, but I still choose to let you uh, go because of God's grace. And I think because what you were saying earlier, Bill, about Ephesians 4.32, um, be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. So I think in light of his, his gospel, in light of his mercy, in light of his grace, we do that. I think an interesting um, story that I came across was the one of Vivian Anderson. And Vivian Anderson was uh, one of the people who in June 11th, 1963 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, she was one of the first people to integrate the University of of Alabama. And uh, when she came there, federal troops were there and the doors were blocked by Governor George Wallace. And he was holding out for racism and segregation, but failed in this this attempt and she became the first African-American to graduate from the school. Um, She later talked about... um, when Governor Wallace came, because later on he regretted his actions, and then years later came to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, the church where Dr. Martin Luther King had pastored at, and he'd asked the black people there to forgive him for his hardness of heart. And when he met Vivian, she said, I do forgive you, and I had already forgiven you years earlier. Now, someone asked her in a 2003 article, you know, a little bit about this and said, you know, you said that you've forgiven him many years earlier. And she said, oh, yes. And and the person said, why did you do that? And her reply was, this may sound weird. I'm a Christian and I grew up in the church and I was taught that just as I was taught that no other person was better than I, that we were all equal in the eyes of God. I was also taught that you forgive people no matter what. And that was why I had to do it. And I literally felt compelled by the Lord to forgive this person. And um, Wallace, in this case, as uh, this dear sister Lynn was saying, he came and asked for forgiveness. She was saying, you know what, I already forgave you. And it may be if we're looking at the word and even one of the authors who talked about this, she had already pardoned him. So whether he came or not, she was saying, look, I forgive you. You know, I am, I'm not holding this um, against you. All right, let's look at some of the th- feelings people have, Christians in particular, when you have been wronged and maybe there's this difficulty, this strain, maybe it's been going on for weeks, months, years, and you say things like this, I keep trying to forgive him, but I just can't seem to let it go. Or maybe I have forgiven him, but I'm still so angry at him. Yeah, that's pretty strong emotions, and I think that's one of the wrestles that we have with this whole thing that it comes to forgiveness. A gentleman named um, Doug Collins in his book, Christian Counseling, he actually talks a little bit about anger, you know, and kind of four different responses that happens because in the process of this really underlying anger is hurt. And so even getting to the point of needing something to forgive, we've already experienced an offense. But he says there's usually four basic ways that people respond to it. Either it can be repressed, where we basically refuse to admit that there's anger here. 
it's suppress, where we deliberately hide it from others. It's express, either destructively or in harmless ways, or confess to God and to others. And so those are some of the ways that we handle the anger uh, that we feel. And, um, you know, we we here in in this part of the country, uh, we can have frozen rage. You know, we're, we're just too Minnesota nice to really express it, mm-hmm. but... But you know, it 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 might be, it might seem really nice, but inside it, it's it's a frozen type of rage that we have towards one another. Could be it also could be frozen passive aggressive stuff too. It'll come out sideways. It'll happen. Yes. Yeah. It, it's going to come out, and we and well, that could be a whole segment. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> in it could and of be. itself. Yeah. yeah. But when you do have difficulty forgiving a person. Why, when Christ goes to the cross and forgives us of all of our wrongdoings and forgives us when we were enemies of the cross, why do we accept that, and yet when we've been wronged, we still kind of want a piece of flesh? doesn't make any sense. Well, and I think that's, um, I remember hearing and marking in my head when when I heard it, our friend Jeff Dorn was doing that series on the parables. Mm-hmm. And the parable where it describes God as angry is the the um the unforgiving servant that where he was forgiven more than he could ever repay Mm -hmm. and then he turns around and forgives or or turns around to the person who gave him you know who owed him a relatively small debt and was unable to forgive the small debt despite the massive grace that he had received. And it says that his master was very angry, furious mm-hmm. with him. And I don't know, I think applying that in in a situation where we look first to ourselves and many times we have genuinely been wronged and deeply wounded and unjustly hurt by other people. But can we look at that wrong as something unforgivable when God has forgiven the unforgivable in us first. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, how can we hold those two things in our hearts at the same time? I'm angry for you mentioning Jeff Verdorn's name. Now i got to pay him a royalty. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, can you charge me the nickel? I will. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Put it on my bill. Mm-hmm. Well, another important part of this, too, is, you know, sometimes even the subject of anger is differentiating between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Because... Righteous anger is rooted in the exaltation of God's glory, and it's the purpose is leading towards uh, restoration. And today, as we look around the world, there are things that should legitimately um, cause a righteous anger. You know, slavery's not done. There's modern human trafficking that's happening, you know, and the abuse uh, of life and the, the lack of care for truth anymore and just kind of a, a culture of deception that seems to be be okay. But that's a little bit different than unrighteous anger, which is often rooted in the exaltation of ourselves or prohibiting the exaltation of self. Meaning I I want to exalt myself. I, I you know, the old campus crusade, uh, you know, uh, for spiritual laws where it would have the little throne and we want to put the S, you mm-hmm. know, we want to be, we want to be on the throne. We want to guide things and we want to lead things. So even differentiating between between that and and one of the things is that sometimes we can even skew things that really have to do with us and then say ah this is really this is a, a god thing so you know we need help um of guarding our heart 
So when we talk about true forgiveness, and let's try to do our best to understand what that is, because this whole idea of pardoning, that's an interesting idea. So if you've wronged me, David, and I'm really mad at you, and I know that you're not going to say you're sorry, this, and I'm sitting here feeling tortured, and I say, I'm just going to pardon you. You, you are, you're forgiven. I'm pardoning you, and all that does is make you even madder at me. I can see that happening too. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, forgiveness or repentance is genuine, mm-hmm. and so if there's if a person's like, you know, look here, I just punched you in the face, and then I'm like, well, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And then I punch you back in the face again. Mm-hmm. You know, and if that kind of keeps occurring, then you're wondering if it is because the word for repentance actually literally means to take a 180 degree turn and head in the opposite direction. So if you're walking towards a cliff, you then make a turn and by God's grace and power in you to live differently mm-hmm. and continuing in that. So, all right, I think I'm taking a little break. Pastor David Miles is in studio and it's a mild Arnold Maxwell moment mix. Got to get a couple more M's in there. We'll take a short break and be right back. All right, we are back with David Miles, and we're uh, having our moment here. And you're shuffling through papers there, David. You're looking for something. I know it's going to show up. I just know it. I have faith. <laughs> I know you got a great story to tell, too. Well, you know, we, we were talking earlier about being kind of the, the passive-aggressive types of things uh, and just kind of an interesting, like, funny, funny story. There was a married couple who had had a quarrel, and they ended up giving each other the silent treatment. A week into their mute argument, the, the man realized that he needed his wife's help. And in order to catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting, he had to get up at 5 a.m. Not wanting to be the first to break the silence, he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me at 5 a.m. The next morning, the man woke up only to discover his wife had ar- was already out of bed. It was 9 a.m. <laughs> and his flight had long since departed. He was about to find his wife and demand an answer for her failings when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed. He read, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> yeah. So what is forgiveness not? What, is, what isn't forgiveness? Well, we'll start. Rebecca, what do you think that forgiveness isn't? Because sometimes we really wrestle mm. with... Um, with what it is. He spoke I, that just like a host. He did. Yeah. That was nice. I know. I know. Well, it was good. <laughs> well, I, I don't think forgiveness is just blurring the lines between good and evil. That is to say that if somebody commits a sin against you, I don't think God tells us that we have to say this wasn't sinful for you to do to me. I, I think that good and evil still exist. And if it's committed against you, we're not ignoring that something bad has happened. Yeah, that's a good point. Miss oh, Rebecca. Once a day. Once a day <laughs> once is, a is day always good. good one. Sometimes it's on the air. Yeah. Well, Bill, what do you think it is? What Or what do you think it isn't? Um, well, I, I I think that it's when it's person to person and there's been a wrongdoing, I think there has to be content and tone. There has to be, I will sometimes say, what do you need to hear from me in order to make this right? Because if I use, you know, what, what comes to me is like, hey, sorry, you know, ah, 
that might not work. That might not feel good. It might not be what they need to hear. And I think if you want it to work, you might say, um, I know I've hurt you and I apologize, but I really want it to feel right to you. So what would you need to hear from me? Mm. That's good. I would say, like, even as we're talking about this, first of all, forgiveness is a choice. I mean, like at a point, we we de- we do need to make a decision of whether we are going to forgive from the very time that we're offended. And so often it feels like, but you don't know what this person has done for me. So what um, does it mean to forgive? Does it mean to forget? No. You know, you can't basically do that type of mental gymnastics and pretend and erase the hurt from your memory, nor is it actually healthy to do that. You know, you're actually causing a sense of of almost injury and violence towards yourself to kind of get into that type of uh, mental gymnastic. Um, to forgive does not mean minimizing the hurt or justifying the other person's actions by saying, you know, this happened because, oh, if I would have did this. And, you know, just want to make a real clear case uh, um, right now, too. Um, if if there's someone listening and they're like in an extremely abusive relationship and someone's being physically abusive towards you and you're saying, no, th- this is okay. And there have been people at times in church and world that have said that, no, that's not okay. Uh, you are God's daughter. You are God's son. And so, you know, not, definitely not wanting to minimize that hurt. And then, um, you know, Norris forgiveness, meaning to pretend that none of this ever happened, you know. But forgiveness is relinquishing my right to hurt you for hurting me. It's releasing you from my judgment and releasing you to God's judgment. And we see that actually in Romans uh, 12, where God actually gives an encouragement to the believer to not re- not take revenge. And I'm going to turn there uh, for a moment here. And we need some scripture music. What do you have? To, to allow people to turn in their Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> Just a thought. Um, You're you know, the one that can access that music. That's not true. Me. You are. Let me come up with something. So, um, you know, the verse that kind of guides all of this for us, for the Christian, not necessarily for the world, but for the Christian, is Romans uh, twelve eighteen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And, you know, we don't... That, that there's that last word in there that's a little bit rough, that word all. And, you know, my kids still laugh at me because I, I have a definition of all that all means all and that's all that all means. But that's hard, you know. I mean, like, forgiveness is hard. What we're talking about isn't easy. And if we're trying to sit here and say that it is, we're kind of shoveling some stuff around. And, and we, won't, we don't want to do that. We want to keep it real. It is, forgiveness is a very hard thing, you know, or it can be a very hard thing if we aren't aware of how much we've been forgiven um, by God. And I think that can temper our thoughts. But going back to Romans 12, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so I think when we were talking earlier about even people who, who don't necessarily ask for forgiveness or something, you know, that you're pardoning that person and you're saying, God, I'm giving this to you um, to resolve. I know that's, you know, talking to the old folks, you know, that's that's what folks had to, to do back in the day. And I think that's kind of one of the things that Vivian Anderson was getting at when she was thinking of Governor Wallace, of saying, you know, yeah, there are these extremely, like, literally 
demonic like laws that our our country used to have and she was saying you know what you know because of christ i'm choosing to forgive you even if you don't ask for that so uh, just a question related to that so how do you forgive in the context that you just mentioned david of letting it go releasing it to god so the other person hasn't repented and and maybe we don't have control over the their hearts or their situation but if we're still dealing with the consequences of the wound of what they've done to us or maybe a very unjust situation and we've got those types of consequences and circumstances yeah. related to that how can we let it go and not allow that to not pick it back up again if it feels like we're still living in that that's a very very good question and i think this again is part of the the gospel and even it's interesting because sometimes god likes to 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 mess with you and you know i don't know if you ever had this where you go to church and you sit down and before the service even begins you're like god i feel like this is kind of a drive-by i feel like you're up to something and you're wanting to address <laughs> So, you know, even thinking through for myself and, and, and thinking through those that I pastor and work with and some of the conversations that I had, like, what what do you do when there are these very real consequences? And again, and trusting that to God, um, there there's, I remember talking to one person um, in love who had had a sibling do something like really wrong in a business thing that they had. And it it cost this person like literally a, a huge, like huge amount of money. And the person shared about, you know, making the decision to forgive this person, even as they were having to dig out of the debt of the decision and the deception of this particular person. And even just having to, to walk through that and, and still in some ways still dealing with that decision of that person. Um, but, to it it's one thing even like for this example of the physical or the monetary debt but the debt that unforgiveness takes on our soul uh, pastor ron mcmanus had said this that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die you know so there is there can be an extreme cost to us on that but yeah this this is this really is a wrestle i mean this is really the part where pressing into the gospel and really asking god to help us and so bill i don't know if you have something else you'd like to throw into this yeah, as well, well I'd love because to. he's the wiser one no hardly <laughs> but the, the the situation where you've been wronged and you're just really having difficulty letting go so maybe you instead of uh doing anything you just withdraw um and then you pretend everything is okay, and that's torture too. But, you know, if, if you have wronged me, but you don't believe you have, and I'm stuck feeling like you do owe me an apology, we're just, we're at a standstill. You're shaking your head yes. Yeah. That's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> that's why yeah, this is a complicated we, subject. It is. Yeah. And I guess, like, even us pausing to not merely put pat answers on it. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes these things that we're talking about, they they really stink. Oh, do they ever? You know. That's and, very wise, David. You know, and and how do we, even in the process of forgiveness, because sometimes people make a decision to forgive someone and the effects, they keep coming back and they keep wrestling 
um, what what's happened. So they're like, you know, really, did I forgive the person? And I think um, of a story that Corey Timboom had told of someone doing a wrong to her that she couldn't forget, and she had forgiven the person, but that idea that she kept hatching it in her her mind and she couldn't sleep. And she said she finally cried out to God for help to putting the problem to rest, and the help came from this kindly Lutheran pastor that she confessed her failures and her two sleepless week. And this pastor said, up in the church tower is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong. Slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hands off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming up for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell and slowing down. And and that was kind of part of Tim Boone's thing in wrestling. Now, I'm not exactly sure if I answered your question, um, but I think we'll take a break and we'll see about coming back to that after. Yeah, well, definitely. David Miles has been my guest. Thank you for uh, being here for Miles Arnold Maxwell. We'll take a little break. We'll be back with Hour 2. Dr. Andy Scudding is going to be with me. Maybe he can help sort all this out. Amen. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.